Jesus replied to his disciples, you give them something to eat. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. This is our text. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we again are grateful for the opportunity that you've given to us to bring us together around your word, to allow your Holy Spirit again to open our eyes to see, our ears to understand, our, our hearts to accept the wonderful relationship that you've given to us in yourself and those who worship with us. Send your spirit into our hearts that we may truly appreciate what you have done and how you have done it that we may look for those opportunities to continue to love and serve you and our fellow man. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I might have made a mistake today because um, I'm going to ask you to think. Um, because if you, if you miss this opening illustration, then you're going to miss the whole message, okay? Would it be fair to say that most of us like to watch movies? And I include the Hallmark Channel with that, okay? Uh, we, we, uh, we're kind of used to individuals taking upon roles, uh, sometimes that are a reflection of them, but oftentimes not necessarily, and we're entertained by it. Now, I don't know about you, but one of my favorite kind of movie is where you have an actor playing more than one role, and Eddie Murphy does, I think, this better than anyone. In a remake of The Nutty Professor, followed by The Clumps, and then Coming to America. Are any of you familiar with those movies? Whew. All right. In those movies, Eddie Murphy plays not only the lead character, but a number of other characters within the movie. In Coming to America, as an example, he's playing a Jewish barber. And you look at him and you go, that's Eddie Murphy. And he does this in several of them. And I've always thought that to be very creative. Now, Eddie Murphy has the benefit of some makeup artists that do phenomenal work. But back in the day, and by that I mean about 2,000 years ago, uh, they didn't have that. But they still did plays where one person played a multiple number of roles. What they would do is the actor would come out and probably take the form of the main character uh, because I don't need a mask to do that. And then he would shift characters by putting on another mask. And then maybe partway through the dialogue, he would throw in another mask. And then for the very talented, maybe even get a third mask out of the deal. All performed by the same actor. And all to tell a story from different points of view. In this particular play, the main actor without the mask is the young man. And what he's doing is he's having a dialogue uh, with his dad and his grandpa. And as that dialogue plays out, then comes the third character who looks kind of like a clown or like the fool. And, of course, the point of the, the play is who's the fool? The guy? The dad, the grandpa, is there something in society about listening to old people? But that's how the play plays out. You guys are following me. It's important that you understand what I'm saying. Got it? All right. So we can also look at this with the idea of the masks of God. Martin Luther was known for popularizing this concept. 
It's how God gets blessings to your doorstep and into your hands. It's used to describe how God provides for us. Now, in his commentary on one of the Psalms, he writes, God could easily give you grain and fruit without your plowing and planting. But he does not want to do so. What else is all our work to God, whether in the fields, in the garden, in the city, in the house, in war, or in government, but that by which he, God, wants to give his gifts in the fields, at home, and everywhere else. These are the masks of God behind which he wants to remain concealed and do all things. No doubt God could create children without man and woman, but he does not intend to do so. Rather, he joins man and women and woman to make it look as if men and women do the procreating. Yet, hidden under this mask is the one who actually does it. Do you get the concept? Do you understand the comparison? That God can do all these things, but he chooses to do things hidden and yet revealed through people. God is the one blessing us, and he blesses us through people. It's good for us to recognize that that's what's going on in our lives. To give thanks to God for being the source as well as the giver of all good gifts. But do understand God is working, as Luther would say, behind his masks. And his masks are us. Let's get into the text. The feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle in Scripture that is recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And every three years, we have the opportunity to talk about this miracle twice. What that tells me as a pastor is this is not a miracle that most of you don't know. In fact, kind of like the narrative of his birth, the death, and resurrection, the feeding of the 5,000 is something, if you're regular in your church attendance, that you've heard a lot. And whenever you come to a text that you've heard a lot, you already think you know what it's about before you start even listening. You know, I know what he's going to do with this one. Uh, Maybe. Um, But today, I I want us to stop and take in what's really happening here. Now, in the text, we understand that Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, was recently murdered I don't think that it's something that comes in one sense as a surprise to the Son of God who came into this world to die for our sins, but the brutal manner in which John died, and we can save that for a different sermon, but that brutal manner must have maybe played on him in such a way. He had already had a good year of of popularity under his belt. Crowds were out there. He was making a difference. He and the disciples were getting the the news of the kingdom of God out and about. People were listening. And then all of a sudden, you get hit between the eyes with the sudden death of a loved one. Took the air right out of him. One would only suggest that with the nonstop preaching and teaching of Jesus, the wandering 
all over uh, uh, Judah and Samaria that um, there would be a certain level of physical fatigue as well. And so it's clear from the text that Jesus wanted to get away with his disciples, more than likely to be alone, to have some one-on-one teaching time. And we know that Jesus often went away to solitary places to pray. However, the plan didn't last long. Jesus got into the boat on the Sea of Galilee, which is really not a large body of water, and people along the bank could see the boat, and they just could follow, where's he going? And so by the time he went to this place up on the the north side of, of, uh, of the Sea of Galilee, thinking this would be a deserted, lonely place, nobody would be out there, desolate place, immediately he runs into crowds of people. Um... He was tired, I would argue. But the crowds show up. He barely gets out of the boat. I think the goal was, let's just take some time to wound down. But the crowds were already there. They were bringing the the sick to Jesus to heal. Uh, They wanted to hear him teach. And that's exactly what Jesus did. As tired as he was, his compassion for the people defined what he needed to do they were like sheep without a shepherd and he had good news for them and despite his fatigue he ministered to the people that were there and they were great needs it went on an old day we don't know for sure what the disciples were doing until it got to that point of the day where it was we got to do some something a large group of people they need something to eat They were equally tired, I would argue, and the demand that uh, they, the disciples, would have to feed the people that were there probably didn't go over really well. Their idea was to send them away. Jesus' idea was, no, we're going to feed them. Now, in one sense, there's, I think, a direct application to who we are today, Um, it's the beginning of August. The year's almost gone. Um, most of us have a lot of things to do. And even though we try our best to put the best construction on things, things still aren't fun. They don't always go the way we plan. This last week I had a chance to visit a member of our church and uh, it's, uh, been in and out of the hospital. It's taking a wear and tear. Uh, usually somebody with a really positive attitude. And she looks at me and she goes, it's not fun. Now, why that makes a difference to me is almost every time I leave the house, Sherry will say, have fun. And I say, I always look to have fun. But this was a moment where it wasn't fun for me either. To see a sister in Christ who, who knows that Jesus is her Savior, struggling with the ongoing weakness of her body. And it doesn't look like it's going to get uh, better anytime soon and then she can't even rely on doctors and the hospital staff nursing home staff to actually meet her needs that are there and it just got old it wasn't fun anymore and i think sometimes being a christian today isn't fun it's hard work we might want to put the faces on it that hey we're okay but boy Get a request to help somebody when we ourselves think, I don't have anything to give. I'm wiped out. 
I know the neighbor needs their lawn mowed, but I'm just too tired to go and do it. I don't have the resources or anything. I'm, I'm doing my best to get everything settled at home. And now all of a sudden that this comes along and I'm the one that people should be helping around this place. And I don't really have a deep resource to help others. We're like sheep without a shepherd sometimes. We know who God is. We know who Jesus is. We know what Jesus has done, what he comes to do. But there just seems to be so many physical needs that we have. And if it isn't us, all you got to do is pay more attention to 58 Highway as you're driving around. The number of, of people that claim homelessness, people without food, dirty clothing, places to stay. I ran into a family that was working the Sam's Walmart parking lot the other day. A whole family looking for resources to make ends meet. My energy, our resources, seems to fail us in light of needs that are so great. What we have seems to be so inadequate. And then what difference does it really make? We ourselves would have liked to say, Lord, we have only five loaves here, two fishes here. What is that among so many people? Yes, yeah, send them away. We can't do anything. Now, the strange thing about this particular text is that nowhere in the text does Jesus say, the needs of this crowd are too great for you. Get out of my way. I'll handle it. No, he says something different than that. When that crowds urged uh, Jesus to send the people away, Jesus didn't tell them, yeah, that's a good idea. I'm really tired. I'm really kind of overwhelmed about what's happened recently in my family. I think that's the way we should solve the problem. Now, he would eventually send the crowds away, but that wasn't until a miracle took place, until they were all fed. And how was he going to do that miracle? Well, Jesus replied, you give them something to eat. Say what? We don't have anything. We'll go look. What do you have? They were trying to get off the hook. Jesus was saying, no, this miracle is going to happen because you're going to be a part of it. So what did they do? They, they ended up digging up five loaves and two fish. We know the story. What happens next? Jesus takes the five loaves, the two fish. He looks up to heaven, gives thanks, and breaks it into pieces. And then you know what he did? He gave those pieces to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. Jesus could have done it. I mean, he was doing everything else. He could have walked around going here. And like, a, like an usher, the disciples could follow with their baskets when he got to the end. And here, give me what's left over. Everybody ate and was satisfied. But Jesus, a part of the miracle, said, no, it's through you disciples that this miracle is going to take place. Imagine that. He could have done it. Actually, he did. But he did it by incorporating the 12 disciples as a meaningful part of it all. Now, we know the disciples more than the people probably of Jesus' day did. 
I mean, we could name at least three of them, right? Peter, right? Judas, Matthew, except for Pastor Supreme. Do anyone else want to take a shot at one of them? Nine more. So here are these disciples, arguably no names uh, to the people that are gathered there other than, oh, that must be one of Jesus' disciples. And what is Jesus doing? Jesus is working through the disciples to bless the people with the food that they need. Now, the miracle really was, don't get me wrong, it was Jesus blessing and giving the food that it would multiply to fill, everybody, to fill everybody's tummy. But he worked through the faces, through the masks, if you will, of the disciples to carry out the, um, the miracle in the first place. Jesus does what we can't do. He multiplies the bread But Jesus works through people to dispense the blessings that he gives to people. If the disciples were used by God to be the distributors of the blessings of God, could that also mean that he uses us to be the vehicle to bless others? called a a mask of God, a channel of his blessings. And this channels out into the various aspects of our life or vocation as we see it. Whether you're a husband, a wife, a father, a mother, a parent, a child, a neighbor, citizen, an employer, an employee, I I could continue to list them. We have any number of vocations happening at the same time. Right now, we're experiencing the vocation of me as a pastor and you as a member of a congregation. How does God work through both of us to give out his blessing, his grace to all of us? Well, at the beginning of the worship service here, after the confession of sins, you remember what I said? I said uh, that our God is merciful and gracious and through me a called and ordained servant of Christ And by the authority of Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Am I forgiving your sins or is Christ forgiving your sins through me? It's not me doing it. It's God doing it to you. And I'm announcing it through my vocation. It happens throughout the worship service, whether that's the elder reading the word, it's our organist playing the music. These are all ways that God blesses us through the individual people or the individual masks. We see the people, and yet God's the one that's doing the blessing through us. And if God is doing that blessing through me, and you're receiving it, guess what? You're also doing that with each other. Husbands and wives, I don't know, I can't really tell if any of you are hugging each other, touching each other, but I mean, sometimes during a service, you kind of give the other person the heads up that I heard that, did you hear that too? That's for both of us. You're reaffirming the forgiveness, the blessing that's there. A parent reaches over to a child, a child goes dad or mom, and that's the interaction. At the end of church, when we encourage you to share God's love with each other, all we're doing, Pastor Brayman and myself, is encouraging you to be 
or to wear this mask of God's grace as you interact with each other. Because that's how God works. Can God do that without us? Absolutely. He didn't need the disciples in this miracle. He purposely chose to use the disciples to be the bearers, the instruments of his grace. What's even more remarkable is if you remember anything about the disciples at all. They weren't servants. They were selfish people. They actually argued often about who's the greatest. Well, when that's your conversation, do you really want to serve other people? Or do you think that you yourself should be served? And yet in this moment, Jesus was also teaching his disciples of their roles as his followers. That as he served, they should serve also. Jesus is the greatest demonstration of what a servant looks like because he not only experienced the loss and the fatigue associated with his ongoing ministry, the news of the death of of his cousin John, but he also knew the foretaste of the, the suffering that was to come. He knew why he came into this world. This was a little sliver out of his life as to uh, the extent of his love and his service to us that only he could do. That only he did. We passively receive the service that Christ gave to us, not only through his life of miracles, teachings, and healings, but most specifically when the man without sin died on the cross covered with the sins of those he died for, us. Forgiving the sins of all people because of God's great love for us. And yet not staying dead, rising to the new life, giving us that promise of our new life. Not just in eternity, but here on earth. A life where we are seen by him as his vessel, as his mask, if you will, giving and dispensing his goodness and grace to the people that we come in contact with. Now we say to ourselves, I don't have any energy left. Did the disciples? I don't think they did. I'm not really all that talented at this particular moment. I don't think the disciples were overly bragging about their talent, especially when they realized that Jesus was going to make them do or be a part of it. Well, they probably came up with every reason in the book why they shouldn't have to do this, and yet Jesus wouldn't accept that. He says, here's the bread. You go take it out and give it to the people. They can only imagine them going, all right, here you go. There, take that. They, I gave it all away. And Jesus goes, well, get the baskets and go out and get it now. What's left? And before their very eyes, the miracle comes home. Look at how much food you actually had when you didn't think you had anything. When God engages us in our lives as as his vehicle or his vessel, it's not about what we're doing. It's about what he's doing through us. And sometimes it's most clearly seen not in our strengths, in our wealth, but actually in our weaknesses. In a time where we don't think we have a lot to give. At times where we can't even take credit for it. It's there but by the grace of God that we go. The feeding of the 5,000 is, is one of those miracles that you hear so often. You think, well, it's Jesus feeding 5,000 ad women and children. We're probably looking at ten to 12,000 people. Yay, that's a miracle. It doesn't happen today. 
Oh, it does. Oh, we're not (laughs) miraculously breaking bread and giving it to people, but every time we're together, the breaking of the bread is before us. Jesus, again, giving himself to us through the mask of the pastor and the service of the elders, but giving it to us and it making a difference. And you arguably giving it to each other as you commune together as the body of Christ. I'm not sure all of you appreciate the impact that you're having on everybody else in this room. God is taking you as an individual, but he's putting you a part of a a bigger testimony, a bigger witness about a bigger miracle that he works in us, through us, and with each other. Again, if you've ever been on the receiving end of this, if you've ever saw a parent doing an awesome job and you commend them for it. If you've ever seen or heard somebody sing in such a way that you're going, yeah, wow, that was great. Uh, and you're acknowledging the fact that you're playing the organ, the sermon, the, the, the acolytes, the ushers, thank you for doing your job and how meaningful it was that you sacrificed your time to serve us. I appreciate that. If you've ever done that, do you understand that you do that to other people? Sad thing is I don't think we tell each other very much. One of the things I would encourage you to do, if you do nothing else with this message, is if there's somebody that has encouraged you, you let them know. We see more clearly those who have influenced us than those that we have influenced. But according to Martin Luther, the masks of God tell us that that's how God works. He could do it all but he chooses to do it through us. It's still getting done, but he remains hidden so that we experience the blessings of serving him. So we find ourselves again working through the, the season of Pentecost. It's the longest season of the year. The question is, what is my response to all Christ Jesus has done for me? And I can't help but appreciate that my response is happening often without me knowing about it. It's not really what I'm doing. It's what God does through me because that's how God works. When I love my family, when I love my neighbor, when I, when I am able to be used to pray for others in need, to take the little offerings and, 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 and bless Emmanuel Lutheran churches we did through the Vacation Bible School offering. Giving blood, serving by taking the things that God has given to me in their small portions and giving it to others. What does God do? He multiplies that. That's the cool thing about Pentecost. It's about what my response to Jesus Christ has done for me. And every time I look at that, I'm reminded that he still does it all for me. And knowing that helps me appreciate what living a life of faith looks like. God blessing people through people. Me receiving and me giving. And by God's grace, there are times where we can step back and we go, 12 baskets. It's amazing. Look what God did through people like us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.